Wired.com presents The Geek's Guide to the Galaxy. And here is your host, David Barr Kirtley. Hello, and welcome to episode 557 of Geek's Guide to the Galaxy. I'm David Barr Kirtley, author of the book Save Me, Please, and Other Stories. Publishers Weekly says, Visceral settings and robust characters will have readers marveling at how much Kirtley is able to fit into a limited page count. For SFF fans with no time to sink into a doorstopper, these concentrated doses of genre goodness will hit the spot. And Kirkus Reviews writes, Kirtley employs sharp, concise prose that complements his puckish sense of humor. The author's passionate voice breathes life into this wonderful array of tales. So again, the book is called Save Me, Please, and Other Stories, and it's available now on Amazon.com. And today on the show, we'll be discussing Baldur's Gate 3, a Dungeons & Dragons video game from Larian Studios, makers of Divinity Original Sin. And this will include spoilers for Baldur's Gate 3, but we'll be giving a spoiler warning before we get into any spoilers. And I'm joined today by our producer, John Joseph Adams. He's the editor of Lightspeed Magazine and the series editor of The Best American Science Fiction and Fantasy, and he's also edited more than 40 other anthologies including Out There Screaming, an anthology of new black horror, which he edited with Jordan Peele. He's also edited Dungeons & Dragons books for Monty Cook Games and Kobold Press, and he's played more than a thousand hours of Baldur's Gate 3. So, John, welcome to the show. Always good to be here. Uh, I had to pass a DC 25 persuasion check to get (laughs) Dave to do this episode, so I hope you all are grateful. (laughs) Um, Okay, so John, tell us about your expectations going into Baldur's Gate 3. Uh, well, you know, to be honest, I, I didn't really have a lot of expectations because I typically avoid uh, video games because of how obsessed with them I get. Um, and so, like, I knew it was out there. I knew that there was a long um, early access period where it was, like, kind of in beta and they were, you know, fixing it as they go along. Um, but I had avoided it all until then. But then, like, once it was about to come out, like, you know, all my friends started talking about it on <laughs> all my different discords and stuff. And I'm like, oh, God, uh, I'm going to have to play this game. It's a, it's a new D&D video game. I haven't played a D&D video game in forever. Um, and like I grew up with those like I think you did, too. Um, you know, so uh, so I mean, I had some high expectations because of that. But like I had not played the Divinity games either. So, um, you know, I didn't I didn't have like the expectations of, of having played those. Um, and, and I mean, they're very critically acclaimed and I mean, I, I guess I'm going to have to play them now, but, um, <laughs> once, once I'm weaned off of Baldur's Gate, I guess. Um, but well, it but was yeah, funny. So. It was funny cause I actually went through my email and actually when the Baldur's Gate three intro cinematic came out in 2020, oh, yeah. I had sent it to you. Yeah. And so I had said, uh, the subject line says, holy shit, this is so beautiful. It literally made me cry. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you responded, damn, that looks badass. <laughs> yeah. And then yeah, you well, also you also said, I'm almost afraid to play it. Will <laughs> I be able to pry myself away from it once I do? Okay, I've got a couple of months to get really far ahead on work. <laughs> well, uh, I forgot about that. I do remember seeing the trailer and thinking it was amazing. Um, <laughs> but I forgot about all that. That's funny. Um, well, it didn't work. It, you know, <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I was not adequately prepared when it came out. Well, so because you and you had told me that you've played this game for more than a thousand hours, I guess like Steam or something tells you yeah, how many hours yeah. you've played. So yeah. I did did the math, and a thousand <laughs> hours is like no, no, working a don't. nine to five job <laughs> don't, for no, six months. It. And Baldur's Gate three came out five months ago. Yeah, yeah. 
So, so you've put well, more hours into this than a nine to five job. I mean, I'm not saying it was a reasonable thing to do. <laughs> um, and I don't know what the true count is at this point because I've had to have uh, Steam in offline mode for a while because, um, uh, there was a new patch and I didn't want to download it yet because it'll break, it might break my mods. And I'm like, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna get patch five on my next playthrough. Um, and so, um, you know, it, it won't tell me how many hours I've accrued since, uh, I last talked to you about it. So, <laughs> you know, it's over a thousand, but I don't know how much. Yeah. Uh, well, you were saying that you grew up playing the Dungeons and Dragons computer games. And definitely, yeah. if anyone has any questions about, Pool of Radiance, Curse <laughs> of the Azure Bonds, Heroes of the Lance, Secret of the Silver Blades, Pools yeah. of Darkness, uh, any of those. I will put my knowledge of those games up <laughs> against anyone. Yeah. But I have not played any, you know, so the 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 Baldur's Gate 1 and 2, the Infinity mm-hmm. Engine games, they came out when I was in college and I just did mm-hmm. not have time to play CRPGs mm-hmm. at that point in my life. And I, so I've not really played any Dungeons and Dragons games, um, yeah. you know, for the last... <laughs> 20 years i guess mm-hmm, geez mm-hmm. um and i have not played Baldur's gate 3 because i do not have <laughs> a game uh console that will run it mm-hmm. uh i have an xbox one uh and actually uh this game i just saw just today it just came out on xbox oh, but it's mm-hmm. only xbox series x and s yeah. so even so I, I still can't play it yeah. well maybe um, santa will bring you something <laughs> i was gonna say if any of our listeners want to buy me <laughs> a playstation 5 you can find information on how to do that over it geekstation.com <laughs> slash crowdfunding. Hey, I'll take one too if anyone's just buying PlayStation 5s. <laughs> I mean, you know. Um, so, but I did do a ton of research on this game. I've listened to uh, tons of interviews and read tons of reviews and watched ten- tons of, you know, YouTube videos and stuff. So I feel like uh, I have a lot to contribute to this conversation, mm-hmm. even not having played the game. Yeah. And obviously, John has played <laughs> so much of the game that he, I figured he can fill us in on anything mm-hmm. related to gameplay. And I was telling him, you know, that I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of him in this panel as kind of like a war correspondent where he's been <laughs> embedded, you know, for the last five months in, uh, in Faroon or something. Yeah. So he's going to, you know, he can tell us everything, uh, everything <laughs> we need to know about the, the absolutely. gameplay. Yeah, uh, absolutely. That is what I've been uh, in on the ground, first person <laughs> reporting. Um, yeah, so actually, so I'm in a bunch of regular D&D games, you know, and um, after the game came out, um, w- one of my DMs had to cancel a session. She said she got like a flat tire and like we both live in, in the same city. So she was like saying this one road or whatever. And uh, I was like joking with her after I was like, you know, I kind of thought maybe you got that flat tire on the road to Baldur's Gate, you know, but, <laughs> um, <laughs> And she's like, oh, no, no, no. If I, if I, if I was going to cancel the game to play Baldur's Gate, I would just say so. <laughs> um, so, um, but I, I thought that was funny. But so, John, so I know that you've played the actual game a ton, but yeah. I don't know. Have you followed like the discourse around the game mm-hmm. that much? Or are you kind of like yeah. not really that, um, that right. up on what people have been saying about it? No, I have a little bit. I mean, I've been looking at Baldur's Gate 3 Reddit, um, and I've seen some YouTube videos and stuff. I, I, I haven't, I probably haven't watched the kind of videos that you watch, but like, um, you know, the narrator has like, um, has done some like outtake videos that were really hilarious. Um, and I know, um, some of the voice actors have been like doing a playthrough and like streaming themselves playing it, um, that kind of thing. Um, I haven't watched any of those yet because I'm too busy playing the game still. Um, but uh but yeah i've been i've been obsessively reading uh reddit about it because it's like hey i can fill in uh some of my uh desire to play the game by looking at all this stuff um you know i i did wait 
I did wait to do that until after I had finished it. Cause I, I was dreadfully of, uh, scared of spoilers. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, but now that I've played it so much, it's like, well, you can't spoil me for anything. Like <laughs> at this point, it's like, it's fine, whatever. If I get spoiled on some minor thing that I somehow didn't discover, it's like, okay, well now I'm just thankful for it that <laughs> I've, I've experienced that one corner that I somehow missed. Mm-hmm. But you're, you're aware that this game is, is like a cultural phenomenon and yeah. just one like game of the year awards a- absolutely. and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, and uh, and also uh, in totally awesome fashion, um, the head of the studio when he went to go accept the award, he was wearing like a breastplate. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, no, I have yeah. I have a whole thing about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That we're gonna get but, to. Yeah, I mean, I have not played enough games this year that came out this year to say whether or not any game is game of the year. I would be shocked if there was a game better than this. I mean, I know Starfield came out this year. But I, I, you know, I've seen enough people uh, say that, like, oh, Bethesda had dropped the ball on that one, that it didn't live up to the hype. So and everyone says Baldur's Gate has not only lived up to the hype, but far surpassed it, Um, you know. But I mean, for my money, like I have to say, like, you know, it's hard to say when it's in the moment, but like this is the best game I've ever played. I mean, video game, Um, you know, so. Yeah, I just I can't imagine I can't think of a better game that I've ever played. It's it's so engrossing. It does so many things well. What, although it's funny, if we did a whole episode breaking down everything I want to talk about this game, uh, you could edit it in such a way that makes it sound like I was uh, tearing it to shreds <laughs> because there's a lot of problems with it. But that's the funny thing. It does everything else so well that you know it. it, it it makes up for all of that. And, and and it's like, there's serious like things that where it's like, what the hell guys? Like, how did you let this go? Or, or like, what is this bullshit? <laughs> you know, uh, there's a lot of like frustrating things that it's like, well, this could have been easily been fixed and been awesome. But then everything else is just so amazing that it's like, still, I don't care. Best game ever. So have you been following the Baldur's Gate three is too good? Of <laughs> course. Uh, I, I, not exactly, but I think I know what you mean. Like, you know, uh, game dev saying like, oh, well, that was a, that was an outlier. Don't expect our games to be that good <laughs> or that kind of thing. But I don't know if that's, is that what you mean? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. So, so there's been, yeah, there's been sort of panic in a lot <laughs> of other game studios saying yeah. like, don't think that this is going to set the new standard and like right. all games are going to be like this going forward, that this was like a, it's just like this confluence of factors that made this game so successful that can't yeah. be easily replicated. Mm-hmm. So that's one um, sort of one aspect of it. But then the other aspect of it is that, you know, there's this enormous um, sort of groundswell or whatever you would say of hostility mm-hmm. toward AAA game makers. Uh, and there's yeah. this sense that they've been just screwing over players with, you mm-hmm. know, you buy the game and then it's like broken on launch day and you have yeah. to patch it. And then there's like all mm-hmm. this bonus stuff you have to buy that seems like it really should have been part of the game to start with mm-hmm, and then mm-hmm. um you know all the all these things that people are really frustrated about and and have been for years yeah. and Baldur's Gate 3 doesn't have any of that stuff mm-hmm. and so um so there's this you know sort of like the peasants are revolting sort of <laughs> feeling of like if Larry in this yeah indie studio can put out such a high quality game without any of these things that we hate why can't the big studios um do that too Right. Um, so, yeah, so there's just been a lot of um, conversation around this game above and beyond just, you mm-hmm. know, the, the details about the gameplay or the graphics or whatever, that it really is, you know, yeah. the focus of a lot of interesting discussions from all sorts of uh, all sorts of angles. Right. Yeah. And, and you know, I mean, um, from in that regard, like 
it surpasses my expectations of, of any video game in so many ways, like in that, re- in that regard, like, like, like the voice acting is amazing. You know, the animations of, of all of the characters and everything is amazing. Like, it's like, like they did like all these 3d full 3d modeling of everything. And so it's like any character that you see, like you can put any of these outfits on them and stuff. It's like, there's a little clipping sometimes. So it's like, it's not perfect in, in all ways, but it's like amazing. And, and then, um, you know, with the, all the voice acting, it's like you can talk to any person and like any person has at least one line that is like a voice acted line, you know, um, and a lot of them have like a ton of stuff to say. So it's it's incredible. But then also the soundtrack, man, <laughs> like I was shocked to see like Reddit seems to think that the soundtrack isn't that great. And I'm like, are you crazy? Like, what are you comparing it to? Like Mozart or some shit? <laughs> like, no, the soundtrack is so good. Um, no, I've, and, I've been listening to the devil song like over and over. Oh again. yeah. Yeah. No, that's amazing. And so like, I, I was going to sort of put that in a spoiler uh, area, but like, that's a thing like you should absolutely not listen to that song until you get to it in the game. Cause it's like, when you get to it in the game, it's just so epic. It's so unexpected. It's so perfect for the situation, you know, like, I, I like honestly, like I, I think I started tearing up when I first heard it. I, I I've gotten that way when I've listened to it later, because um, it's like there's so like when you start to analyze it, it's like it's so great, it's so perfect. Um, and uh, there's one funny thing about it. I guess we should. There's, there's one funny thing about it. I should save for later, but um, when once we're under spoiler tags, but um, yeah, it's just they're so clever. Everything Larian did in this game is there's so many little clever touches, and this is yeah. one of them that I'm alluding to. Well, and and I'll say like yeah, so it has a, the game has 176 hours of cinematics of, of yeah. cutscenes, and it's all fully mocapped, all yeah. professional voice actors. Um, do you know who any of the voice actors are? Did you see that? I, I mean, I I know some of the people who were like famous already that are in there, and I and I've seen all of the voice actors' names. I couldn't recite them for you. Um, I know the guy Neil that did uh, the voice of Asterion has been like winning a bunch of the awards for best voice acting. Um, but like I know Jason Isaacs plays one of the villains, and uh, J uh, K Simmons plays one of the villains. So like yeah. those are the two. Fa- uh, and Matt Mercer does a voice of a of a of a character in the game. Yeah, but he, so th- it's a minor. It's a small char- small part for Matt, but. Yeah. So those, yeah, those are the ones I was going to mention. Um, yeah. yeah. So that's cool. And can I just I, say, Jason yeah. Isaacs, he surprised the hell out of me when I saw that he was the voice of the character that he voices. I mean, I don't know if we should say the name or not of the character, but I'm like, like I'd heard, I'd heard this voice so much in the game. I would have never identified Jason Isaacs. So it's like, well done on the voice acting, sir. Like completely <laughs> disguised your voice in such a way that I would have never known it was you. Um, you know, and I mean, same for Matt Mercer, but it's like he's he's just like by trade a voice actor, a vocal chameleon. Jason Isaacs is just like a regular actor that I wouldn't have said, oh, yeah, he clearly has the range to sound like anything, you know, so well done. Yeah. Yeah. So this game just has production values that just blow away any yeah. other CRPG, you know, any other similar game of, mm-hmm. you know, these, so see, there's, these are computer role playing games, you know, where you have a party and there's usually tactical combat and, yeah. you know, they tend to be a little, you know, a little bit niche, a little bit sort of, you know, um, you know, like, like difficult to get into. And yeah. so, so the the philosophy with this Baldur's Gate 3 game was basically like, you know, the, the Larian Studios was like, I th- we think that a CRPG could reach a much larger audience mm-hmm. if it had the right 
like AAA presentation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and other people are kind of like, you're crazy. Like <laughs> a CRPG is never going to sell enough um, yeah. copies to, to recoup that investment. Mm-hmm. And, which gets us to the character, the very colorful character of Sven Vinka, yeah. the founder of Larian Studios. So other than the fact that he wears a breastplate, John, do you know anything about yeah. Sven Vinka? Um, not much. I mean, I've, I've seen some of the stuff he said about the game and stuff and he seems great. I know, um, when you go to make a character in the game, um, like the default name of it is Tav, T-A-V. And that's like short for Gustav, which is the name of his dog. I know that, (laughs) but that's, that's about all I know. (laughs) All right. So let me tell you about Sven Vinka. So, so, and I don't know if I mentioned Larian is a Belgian studio. Um, so, so he's Belgian. And so when he was growing up, uh, he was really into Dungeons and Dragons and CRPGs. And one day he's talking to a friend of his who says, oh, my God, there's this amazing CRPG I played where you can like do anything. The game will let you do anything you can mm-hmm. imagine. And you can talk to characters and they'll just respond. Like no matter what you say, they'll respond to it. And he was like, wow, that game sounds amazing. I've got to play it. And then he found out that the friend was just like fucking with him. And he was oh. just just lying. There was no game like that. Right. Oh, but so then, uh, you know, a couple years go by and he discovers Ultima 6 and Ultima 7. Mm-hmm. And he's like, holy shit, this is like kind of like what that kid said. Mm-hmm. You know, these games where you can go anywhere and do anything. And um, I mean, obviously in those games, just because of the technology, you can't say anything and the characters will respond and stuff like that. But, um, but and I'm, if, you, if people know, I'm totally obsessed with Ultima. I've done many, many episodes of this podcast on Ultima. I worked a uh, reference to Ultima into my wedding vows. <laughs> uh that's how into Ultima I am. So yeah, like Ultima Six. And you and interviewed Ultima. Richard Garriott. Uh, yeah, I, I interviewed Richard Garriott, the creator of Ultima. Um, and Ultima Six and Seven are just two of my like are, are definitely my all time favorite CRPGs, mm-hmm. and you know among my top you know five mm-hmm. favorite games of all time. So when I when I found that, and I had heard that a couple years ago that Sven Vinka was really into Ultima Seven. So that so I ha- kind of had a positive impression of him just based on that. Um, but so anyway, so he sort of like spent his whole career trying to carry the torch forward of Ultima seven. This is a game where, you know, you can like every, the whole world is so interactive. You know, if there's, uh, you know, a candle, you can light it. If there's a wagon, you can ride in it. If there's a oven, you can cook stuff in it. If there's a fishing pole, you can fish with it, like everything you can interact with. And after, uh, origin closed the company that made it, uh, no games have really, done that since you know like the graphics have gotten better and the action's gotten faster and stuff but the level of interactivity uh, has really decreased for the most part mm. in all subsequent um crpgs and so svenvinka really wanted to try to carry that aspect of the game forward as much as possible uh but it's been kind of a rocky road you know the company larian they made two games uh d- <laughs> divine divinity and divinity 2 and both and of those divinity were- original sin no, no, this is before that. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. No, they've been on the Divinity thing for a long time. Oh, okay. Didn't even know about those other ones. Yeah, so the first game was supposed to be called Divinity, but the publisher said they'd had big, a big success with some game with an alliterative uh, mm-hmm. title, and so mm-hmm. they said it had to have an alliterative title, so they changed the name to Divine Divinity, and he's like, it's so stupid, but, you know, <laughs> this is... And they, and they had a lot of problems working with publishers, and so, you know, and he wanted to make these really ambitious games but they kept getting pushed out the door before they were ready and getting really mixed Mm. um you know reviews because of that and so he was finally able to make the game that he wanted which was divinity original sin 
And um, they were able to do that largely because of Kickstarter. You know, there had been the Pillars of Eternity. Um, Kickstarter had been really successful, which sort of was a proof of concept that um, the Kickstarter could be used for CRPGs. And so they did. They got a million dollars for uh, Divinity Original Sin. Um, but unfortunately, it cost several million dollars. And so they... Uh, <laughs> it was really tight toward the end of the development. They were like not paying taxes and like taking out all these loans and everything. <laughs> uh, so it was going to be really, really bad news if the, Oh, and because they, because you really wanted to add voice acting to the game, that was like the last thing that they needed to pay for. So it was going to be really bad news if, uh, if the game wasn't a big hit and fortunately for him, it was a big hit. And so then they did uh, divinity original sin Two, And that was also a really big hit. And he had previously approached Wizards of the Coast about doing Baldur's Gate 3, and they had said no, like, mm-hmm. um, that they had, they had said, we don't think your company is big enough or established mm-hmm. enough. We don't think you'll be able to pull it off. But then um, Divinity Original Sin 2 looked so promising that Wizards came back to him and said, mm-hmm. okay, we've changed our mind. We want you to do Baldur's Gate 3. Um, yeah. So, yeah, so it's like this amazing kind of like decades long story for him just having this dream to create the ultimate RPG mm-hmm. and and finally making it happen. Uh, so you, all that's really I, cool. Yeah. Yeah. So one thing that's crazy about the Wizards of the Coast thing is that, um, you know, so like I had heard all of that about how he had approached them and been turned down and, and, you know, all that. But then so the game comes out and it's like Baldur's Gate 3 is on the top title, you know. That's all the branding. You know, I see Larian Studios branding. Where is the Dungeons and Dragons branding in this game? Like, I don't see Dungeons and Dragons anywhere. Like, there's uh there's like a little spot on the like the bottom of like this splash launch screen that says like Wizard to the Coast, like next to like Larian Studios, you know, but it's like it's very small. It's like you would think that, I mean, if it, if I was Wizard of the Coast, I'd be like, I want Dungeons and Dragons above <laughs> Baldur's yeah. Gate three, like colon <laughs> Baldur's Gate three. Uh, this is our property, you know. Um, and I've heard people say that maybe they were trying to hedge their bets in case it didn't pan out as well as uh, everyone was hoping. Um, but I mean, it just seems crazy. Like how how can you not have your branding on there? Because it's like I can imagine people. I mean everyone's going to like go to the internet and they'll find out that it's a Dungeons and Dragons game, but I could totally see how you could just get wind of the game. Everyone loves it and you play it and love it and don't even realize, Hey, I could have this same experience or similar experience by playing Dungeons and Dragons. (laughs) You know, you wouldn't even know that it's related. Um, So it's funny. Yeah. I didn't hear any discussion of that. So I don't know. I mean, that does seem really weird. I bet if they, if it was a hedging their bets kind of thing, I bet they're kicking themselves now. Yeah. Um, but, well, yeah. one of the, one of the other things that they should be kicking themselves for is that like they don't have anything ready to go right now to capitalize on the success of this game. Like, if they were smart, they would they would have uh you know a, a campaign that so Baldur's Gate three goes from level one to level twelve, and then that's where it caps. That's where you finish the game at level twelve. If they if Wizards of the Coast was smart, they'd have a campaign book that you could buy right now that would take you from levels 13 to 20 that would continue the story of Baldur's Gate 3, like six months after it or whatever, you know, like a new adventure, but with the same sort of, uh you know, history that you played through in the game. Like, obviously, there's a lot of different paths that you can take to get to the end of the game. But still, I mean... That's what a yeah. DM would juggle. So that's um, a brilliant. No, that's a brilliant idea. Yeah, they one hundred percent should have done that. 
I mean, um, you know, Sven Vinka has said that the reason this computer game ends at level 12 is because mm-hmm. it's like so hard to yeah. implement the Dungeons Dragons rules for characters yeah. above that level. The spells are so powerful and so right. flexible and, and everything that, you know, <laughs> this is pretty much what you can do yeah. on a computer right now is the first right. 12 levels uh, for, for d <laughs> I know. I, I'd seen that too. And I thought it was funny that uh, he was saying that because it's like, like the people who made Baldur's Gate three are, are are complaining about like the challenges of balancing games, dude. There are so <laughs> many like just bizarrely overpowered items and stuff in this game. It's crazy. <laughs> like coming to it from from D and D fifth edition, it's like it's like oh whoa, <laughs> like this this thing is crazy overpowered. All right, well let's uh, so let's, let's save our criticism for sure for a little bit later. That's not even a criticism, really. It's just <laughs> it's, it's it's just the fact. I mean, I don't mind. It's fun. I saw a thing where I don't, did you play? There, there was like a they did release a like a D and D you know pen and paper module that led into Baldur's yeah. Gate three. Did you play yeah, that? Descent, or do you know th- yeah, Baldur's Gate Descent in Avernus. Um, I have not played it. I have really wanted to, and I just never got a DM that wanted to run it. Now I want to play it even more. Um, but it's it's certainly not necessary to um you know for any background or anything. But like I I think if you had played it, there's probably more you know, sort of, uh, bits of, of lore that you would pick up on. Like, um, I mean, they reference in the game, how the city of El Terrell, uh, you know, got pulled into Avernus. Um, and I, I'm pretty sure that's what happens in that, in that module. Um, but yeah, no, I haven't played it. Mm-hmm. I guess just the other thing I want to say about Sven Vinka going back to the, uh, the breastplate thing yeah. is that, yeah, he wears this breastplate a lot in, um, like press events and, you know, like funny Larian videos and stuff like that. And so, um, you know, the, in the Ultimate games, Richard Garriott would always dress up in kind of Renaissance hmm. outfits and play this character, Lord British, who was a character in the games. And I remember um, when we first started doing this show, I remember talking to um, Ron Gilbert, the creator of Secret of Monkey Islands, because I had, um, you know, in our interview with him, I had, I had read this quote years ago where it said something like, um, if it seems like a lot of the magic has gone out of games, maybe it's because they used to be made by a man in a cape. And now they're made by executives in suit to do lunch and, you know, alluding to Richard Garrett, that's the man in the cape. And so I feel like Sven Vinka is kind of Mm -hmm. um, bringing back the spirit of, uh, (laughs) you know, of of Richard Garriott and, you know, being the, (laughs) you know, sort of having the LARP, you know, nerd kind of, um, you know, persona for for creating CRPGs. So I I like that a lot. Yeah. Well, I'm sure he would love to you know, be known as like the next Richard Garriott, you know, or just to be mentioned in the same sentence as him. So. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay. So, so John, so why don't you tell us a little bit about the, like uh, the non-spoiler yeah. uh, story? Like what is just sort of the basic setup of yeah. the, of the game? Uh, so the game starts with you, uh, your character, you're abducted by mind flares, um, and the, you're on a nautiloid, which is one of their like ships that goes between, it's basically a spaceship. Um, and, uh, it's, it's all covered in like, it's got like tentacles and like all kinds of weird membranes and stuff inside. It's like, it's almost, it's like a living ship kind of. Um, and so you, um, you have this, uh, they call it a mind flare tadpole that like crawls into your eye. Like that's like the first cinematic in the game is, 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 you know, this first person thing, this mind flare comes up to you, uh, and puts this tadpole in your eye. And, uh, this thing, it, it crawls into your brain and eventually it turns you into a mind flare. Um, and that's bad because <laughs> it basically, uh, it basically means like you would be dead and you would become this other thing. And there would be some fragments of your personality left, but like you would lose all emotions and, you know, 
you know, generally just not a thing. Plus, mind flayers are like these like uh, sort of squid faced people um, that are sort of notoriously evil in um, in, in Forgotten Realms. Um, so that's how it begins. Uh, you have to you have to like collect some companions of people, people who also got abducted um, and were on the ship. And so you have to get off the ship um, and then. um the ship sort of crashes and you land up on a beach um, and then you collect one of your other companions. You find your other companion, uh, one of the other companions. And then um, it's that kind of thing where like you, you pick up uh, different people as you go along. Um, but you know, uh, from there, it's like you're, you kind of do like a lot of exploring. It feels very much like D and D where um, you have a lot of different options at your disposal. The first big thing you do is you find this Druid's Grove. That's uh um, you know, under assault from goblins. And so you have to sort of protect the Druid Grove uh, unless you want to help the goblins. Cause you can totally <laughs> play it evil as well. Um, I couldn't bring myself to do it, but um, I wanted to experience as much of the game as I could. So I was like, I should do an evil playthrough, but I'm like, ah, man, this feels real bad. No, I don't like it at all. You know, uh, especially when it's like, you've played it through as good a number of times. And it's like, Hey, these people are my friends, you know? And but, so we- uh, yeah. Well, and so we know, John, from our review of Dungeons and Dragons: yeah. Honor Among Thieves, that yeah. you're a bit of a stickler when it comes <laughs> to the Dungeons yeah. and Dragons rules. So, how did you feel, yeah. as a D and D fan playing this game? How well did you feel yeah. that it kind of captured that aspect yeah. of the game? Uh, well, it does a fantastic job of capturing it. It feels a lot like D and D. There are a lot of uh, differences uh, where they had to make a change, like to adapt it to a video game. Sometimes the changes were puzzling, where it's like I don't understand why they changed that, um, and like just for instance, as as an example, uh, in in D anD D, getting knocked prone uh, is not like a huge deal. It's like you have to use half your movement to stand up on your turn. When you're prone, people get advantage to hit you. You have disadvantage to hit them. You know, so it's like it's not that big of a deal. In Baldur's Gate three, if you get knocked prone and you haven't taken an action yet, you lose your turn. Uh, and if you're a spellcaster and you're concentrating on a spell. If you get knocked prone, you automatically break your concentration. Those are both huge, <laughs> huge changes to the way uh, the action economy in 5e works. 5e meaning 5th edition Dungeons and Dragons. Um, so like those, that, those are like just some of the changes. Um, but then also it's like some of the changes are good. Uh, in D&D, um, you can't cast two leveled spells on the same turn, meaning like uh, a spell that's like a first level spell is like a lower level, low power spell. And then like a fifth level spell would be a higher power level spell. So like in, in, in D&D, you can't cast one with your action and one with your bonus action on the same turn. But in Baldur's Gate 3, they let you do that. And it's like it opens up this whole other way of playing um, and it just seems more fun. Um, and so that would be something I'd love for, you know, D and D to just like relax on and let us do. Um, so, I mean, those are some things. Yeah. I I guess one thing I I didn't get a super clear sense of from the stuff that I watched was how, um, sort of, you know, how, how, what's the word, uh, sort of foregrounded the rules are when you're playing Mm -hmm. the game. Like how, how much do you know about the rules? Because I know that you 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 actually roll dice, and there's like literal dice yeah, that roll on yeah. the screen and stuff. But yeah. like, could you learn how to play? Could you learn the rules mm-hmm. of Dungeons and Dragons from playing this game, or is a lot of it sort of hidden from the the player? Right. 
Um, I think most of it is there on, you know, on the screen at some point. They certainly could do a better job of, of making some of the rules clear or how certain items work, how certain spells work. Even coming from 5e, some, sometimes I'm like, well, wait, wait, how does this work? Like, and, and like, I'm looking at the die rolls, like in the combat log to be like, wait, what? <laughs> you know, and I'm trying to figure out, like, how does this thing actually work? Just as an example, again, uh, Sleet Storm is a spell in 5e that, like, it basically sucks. It's really, it's really hard to find a good use for it. Uh, in Baldur's Gate 3, it's so awesome. Like, so basically it just, it casts this, uh, well, it casts a sleet storm on the ground. It's this huge area. It turns the whole area to like icy ground. And, uh, when you walk across it, you have to make a, a saving throw or else you slip and fall. And as discussed, when you get knocked prone in this game, it's very punishing. Well, it's like, um, it, you know, as, as you're walking across it, it's like it's like you have to make the saving throw like literally every five feet or something because people just slip and fall in it all the time. Like when you cast it, it's it's like a big time lockdown area of effect, just like control thing happening. It's it's like it's like a baller move. Like you know, like hmm. hey, I'm gonna throw this down. Like yeah, good luck getting past that. I mean, if they can teleport or whatever, they can get past it. But you know, um, there's like whole encounters that you can just solve by casting uh, Sleet Storm. It's like that's it. That's all you need to do. <laughs> it's done now. <laughs> um like really gnarly ones too um so um and and that and how that works is actually pretty opaque in the game it's like you read the spell description it's not really clear how exactly it works um you know i've thought about i've thought about like writing and running a campaign um for uh you know just for my friends and stuff that that does what i was saying wizard the coach should have done which is like pick up the story and run it um you know run it after what happens in Baldur's gate 3 um but i wanted to port some of the rules from Baldur's gate the, the different rules from Baldur's gate 3 into the playthrough or into the playthrough uh, into the game <laughs> uh it's not a playthrough when you're playing D&D you're playing the game um but so um but that like one of the things i was trying to figure out i was like well how how would i even figure out how does sleep storm work because it's like it's not clear so yeah i don't think you could really learn how i mean a lot of the rules you could pick up, it would feel, feel very f- familiar once you start playing D&D if you've played a lot of Baldur's Gate, because most of the rules are there. Um, it's just a matter of, like, you know, translating what you've done on, in the game to, you know, what you see on the page in your character sheet. So, well, um, yeah. Well, when you're talking about about the, the Sweet Storm being sort of, yeah. you know, like, so powerful and people have mm-hmm. to keep, you know, yeah. making checks over and over again and stuff like that. I mean, it, it does seem like this is, you know, part of the design philosophy of flaring is to give the player maximum freedom and yeah you know make, make the systems so flexible that you know anything you can imagine mm-hmm. you can see if it works and stuff right but it does seem like that makes the game pretty like cheesable you know pretty you know oh, for sure um yes you know i mean on reddit you can see people talking about cheese things all the time and like i haven't i haven't done any things like that like like i'll make i'll try to make builds that are like powerful and and like take advantage of like you know different combinations and stuff but like that's not cheese. That's just like optimizing a build. Like they, people are talking about like, Oh, I collect up all these explosive barrels and I sneak in and I put them all around this area. And then I just, uh, light, you know, just light them up and, and cause this huge explosion. I'm like, oh, okay. I mean, sure. I guess you could do that, but that just seems like you're cheating. Yeah. <laughs> you know? well, well, there are uh, two YouTube videos I wanted to mention that I watched. Oh, so yeah. one is called, can you beat Baldur's Gate three without killing anything? Ah, mm-hmm. And can you beat Baldur's Gate three without long resting? Ah, mm-hmm. And you would think that it would be absolutely impossible to beat yeah, a CRPG do <laughs> without doing either of those things, because that's like most of what you do in most CRPGs. Yeah. But because these systems are so flexible, there's a lot of, mm-hmm. you know, you actually can get through the whole game, you know, hmm. like getting skip basically skipping most encounters, you know. Yeah. 
So I could see that working for a lot of it, but I, I'm really puzzled how you could do it with some of it. Uh, I feel like some of it would certainly be unsatisfying from a heroic level. Uh, if, if you can't like stop the bad guys, uh, by killing them, because like some of them, you're just not going to be able to talk down. Although a surprising number of them, you can, like you can, there's certain, uh, like encounters that are like, would be a major encounter if you fought them, but you, there are dialogue options that you can talk your way out of it. And, and it's, it's challenging. It's like, you have to be pretty good at persuasion to do it or, or deception, you know, uh, cause it's like, you have to make a series of checks and like, you have to navigate, you know, what are you saying to them? And, you know making an intelligent decision based on what they're saying to you. Um, so yeah, it's really interesting in that regard. Um, yeah. And the long resting doesn't surprise me as much, although it does seem hard to imagine. (laughs) Well, so um, I'm curious, you know, since you're such a, an esteemed editor, what do you think of speaking of like the dialogue and and characters and stuff? What do you think about the quality of the writing of the game? I mean, obviously it's good, but is it like great for a CRPG or is it like great for what does he even compare to like TV shows or books or, or, or stuff like that? No. Yeah. It's absolutely amazing. Um, you know, I, I, I would, I would say that it compares in quality to any, any, any kind of entertainment. Um, you know, I don't know that you could translate it directly to some other medium and, and have it, be natural or whatever it, it's hard to judge it in that regard but i mean um i mean it's fantastic like honestly like once once i became an editor i i did worry about playing these kind of games if i was gonna feel like you know like the stories aren't up to snuff from my you know my understanding of story uh at the level i have to understand it to be an editor um you know and all these kinds of things but um you know th- this game just really like i I mean, there's a, there's, it, it just takes it to a whole new level. I mean, obviously there are things that I would have, uh, su- made editorial suggestions on if I was editing like the dialogue of the game. Um, and hey, Larry, and if you ever want me to do that, <laughs> I'd be happy to do that. Like totally. Like I, anything you guys want me to do, I'm down. Um, but, um, you know, uh, and, and I mean, actually most of the, most of the, uh, complaints I would have in that regard are like, why isn't there another dialogue option to say this thing? Because this is a perfectly reasonable thing for a person to say in response to this. But then I'm stuck with these four options. I'm like, well, none of these are really, I mean, okay, I guess I'll pick this one, (laughs) you Mm -hmm. know? Uh, And I mean, that's how all of these things are going to be to some extent because they can't imagine everything, but they do so well with, uh, (laughs) with, with the whole game that like when you find one of those moments, you're like, oh, well, come on. (laughs) Why can't I say this other thing though? So do you know anything about the people who wrote this game? Uh, no, not really. I, I believe I looked up the writer and the lead writer is Adam Smith. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know anything about him. I want to meet him. I want to know about him, though. <laughs> yeah. So so I found a list of all the writers, or at least I don't know if this is completely exhaustive, but there's there's 20 writers on this list. Mm-hmm. So there are at least 20 writers who worked on this game. And yeah, and Adam Smith is is credited as lead writer and... As far as I could tell, most of the people, you know, are not, have not published like novels or, mm-hmm. you know, screenplays or things, you know, maybe I missed some stuff, but, but I didn't know any of the writers, mm-hmm. you know, um, like Adam Smith, he used to write for Rock, Paper, Shotgun, which is, so he's oh. like a games journalist. Mm-hmm. Um, there was at least one other games journalist I saw, Kevin Van Ord. Um, didn't, didn't uh, Smith also uh, work on Divinity Original Sin 1 or 2 or maybe both? Didn't he write for them too? I know a lot of the same team worked on those games too. I think he just came on for Baldur's Gate 3, but oh, okay. a, a lot of the other all these writers had worked on their previous yeah. games. Same with the voice um, actors. Mm-hmm. Um, so the one person I found who seems to have a big mm-hmm. um, sort of 
presence as a writer uh, outside of gaming is this guy, Lawrence Schick. Um, oh, 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 he worked on this? Yeah, he's the oh, principal okay. narrative designer. Oh, shit. Okay, well, that, that kind of makes sense. So do you, so what do you know about Lawrence Schick? Yeah, so he was, um, if I remember correctly, he was he was also like the lead lore master or whatever, like on El- Elder Scrolls. So, uh, mm-hmm. you know, he has all that experience. Plus, he was like a, you know, an old school guy who worked on TSR D&D stuff back in the day. Like he has a whole list of credits. Like he, he, uh, he wrote a bunch of like the classic modules and stuff. Yeah, so he wrote the well-known module White Plume Mountain. Right. And he worked on the original Dungeon Master's Guide, Deities and Demigods, and Fiend Folio. Uh, but do you know about his career as Lawrence Ellsworth? Um, no. Okay, so this, so check this out. So as Lawrence Ellsworth, he writes historical fiction, and he taught himself French so that he could tra- do his own translations hmm. of the Three Musketeers novels. Uh. And then he's written a whole bunch of other Three Musketeers novels, you know, like filling mm-hmm. out the world and continuing mm-hmm. the story and stuff like that. Um, and he's also edited... Uh, a book called The Big Book of Swashbuckling Adventure, where this mm-hmm. is stories by like Arthur Conan Doyle and mm-hmm. Alexandra Dumas and stuff, you know, I think mostly 19th century um, stories. And he also wrote a book called Cinema of Swords, where it's like his opinions of 400 of the most popular uh, movies that involve sword fights. Uh, so, yeah, so he's got a he's got a lot going on. Um, so he also uh, had an essay in uh, in one of my role my my uh kobold press essay anthologies ah all right cool um so yeah but but for the most part it seems like they they have taken the strategy of just recruiting people who are really into gaming yeah um rather than like seeking out people who have who are like yeah. well-known screenwriters or, or anything right, like right. that hey um, though if you can have both and you want an editor that is super <laughs> into gaming has played D his whole life and also is like you know edited more than 40 anthologies you know like i'm here guys <laughs> although i don't know we are going to get into some criticisms so uh, maybe well, they should maybe they should stop listening now they should no, just hire, no. hire you now before we get <laughs> into the no i i think that i think everything i've learned about this company and playing this game suggests to me that they are actually uh they want criticism they want to know what they did wrong and they want to try to fix it they've made so many patches and like hot fixes and stuff of like all kinds of so much stuff man it's like it's it's crazy how much like the game when it launched was totally fine most developers would have just left it at that and it's like but they you know they want it to be awesome and they they and they're clearly listening to the community and stuff so um yeah i think they would welcome it yeah i mean like we mentioned this game spent three years in early access so they were you know collecting feedback and and fine-tuning it that whole time and i think part of that was just because of covid and it kind of like delayed things but but they do definitely seem to be really into you know incorporating community feedback into the design and yeah and they did i mean like one of the complaints was that the game sort of ended a little too abruptly Mm -hmm. and they actually patched it with this whole like epilogue that yeah you know it was like another gigantic you know gigabytes of content you know like, like filling out the end of the game yeah and that's that's the thing like Okay, if they were going to fix things that were wrong in the game, like with the mechanics or whatever, or like something didn't work right, like you understand that. But like they they made whole new cinematics with voice acting and stuff. Like that's mind boggling that they did that, and it's and I love them for it because yeah, like the epilogues definitely seem warranted. Um, 
yeah, I haven't seen them yet because I'm, you know, because that's patch five and I'm waiting for waiting to play patch five stuff with my next playthrough. But um, I'm looking forward to it. So, so what are some of your uh, criti- like critiques of the of the game? Uh, well, you know, uh, I mean, like I said, uh, some of the stuff just seems like ridiculously overpowered. Um, you know, uh, but that's coming at it from. I mean, that's that's coming at it from. F- a 5e point of view but then also i think it's true even if you're not a 5e person like there's certain like items in there just that just seem ridiculous um on the on the surface based on uh the world of Baldur's gate three um and so there's a lot of stuff like that that you can just totally make super broken builds and um i guess one criticism is that like um so there's three difficulty levels there's like explorer, which is easy and then balance, which is medium and then tactician, which is hard. And, you know, I mean, obviously I come from 5e, so like maybe it would be easier. The game would be easier for me than it would be for somebody who, who, who just came to it, uh, without that experience. But, um, you know, I thought it was pretty easy on balanced. And then when I shifted to tactician, I thought it was a little hard at first, but then it's like, I don't know. It just seems super, it seems pretty easy to me. Um, there are some mods that can make it more difficult. I haven't messed with those yet just because I'm like, well, I don't want it to be annoying and frustrating, but, um, but the base game, the way it is, I feel like it's pretty easy to make it easy. I mean, my understanding is that they already patched it to add more harder difficulty levels. Well, that's true. In patch five, they add, they gave, uh, some of the bosses like legendary actions or some, you know, different kinds of powers to make them more badass. Yeah. I, I, and again, I haven't, I haven't experienced that part of it yet. Uh-huh. So what other, do you have other criticisms besides the, the unbalanced stuff? Uh, yeah, you know, I mean, um, so some, you know, like I said, there's some, there's some dialogue options and stuff that, that, you know, you wish were there. Um, one of the big story things is that, um, so are, are we, are we going to go under spoiler cover here or, uh, do we want to wait for that? Cause like one of the criticisms is a, is a major story beat. Uh, yeah. Why don't we give a spoiler warning at this point? Okay. Um, okay, so from here can, on, spoilers are fine. Yeah, or so we'll, from here we'll, on, spoilers yeah. are a go. Any spoilers? Are here, okay. there be spoilers. Yeah. Okay. Um. Yeah. So, uh, so the major storyline that runs through the game is that, um, you know, so you get this mind flayer parasite, and then uh, eventually this uh, dream visitor starts talking to you in your head. Like you have dreams, and this dream visitor is talking to you, and uh, that person says, um you know, that they're fighting this war against like some sort of cosmic forces. You're like on the astral plane when you're, when you're talking to them and it's like, uh, they're under assault and, and they're, they're protecting you from, uh, from turning into a mind flare. Cause, um, you would have normally turned into a mind flare like within a couple of days or something. Uh, I can't remember or a week or whatever in, in a pretty short time span. And like, you know, by the time you talk to the dream visitor, you've already survived much longer than that. Like a thousand and, hours. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so, um, so this dream visitor talks to you for a while and then eventually, uh, uh, they're revealed to actually be a mind flayer, um, and that had been disguising themselves. Um, and he calls himself the emperor. Um, it's, uh, it's like, it's, it's explained in the game why he's called that, but whatever. So, 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 so there's that. But then, um, as you go along, like you have a choice. Are you going to side with the emperor and like trust him because he's, you know, been helping you all along, or are you not going to trust him because he's a mind flayer? Uh, but there's like other options that you can pick. One of them is, so the thing that he's, the way he's protecting you is there's a, a Githyanki prince from legend, uh, named Orpheus, um, who, uh, 
he has he's like trapped in this thing called a national prism and the mind flayer is using this uh he he's he's uh, tapping into the power of orpheus to protect us from the mind flayer uh transformation okay and so you know you can either side with orpheus or you can side with the emperor basically there's a third option too but let's not talk about that for now but so if you if you side with the emperor it all kind of makes sense when you get to the end if you side with orpheus the emperor makes a completely whack decision that I cannot understand. So the entire game, okay, so there's a there's a cult of the absolute, the absolute being this new god that that is uh you know turning the turning Pharaoh on its head. Um and so it turns out that the the absolute is an elder brain, which is like it's like um it's almost like a it's like a godlike entity that uh in mind flare in in the world of mind flayers, but it's like it's an enormous brain, it has incredible psionic powers. Um, and, uh, so like, it's kind of godlike. Well, um, as it turns out, it's, it's something even more powerful than that called a nether brain. It's influenced by this magic from this very powerful magic item. Um, but so you're, 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 you're playing this whole game. You're fighting against the nether brain, the absolute, all of that. And the emperor's on your side all along it. And, uh, you know, he's fighting for his freedom as well as your freedom, you know? And so like, it kind of makes sense. If you side with Orpheus, he says he has no choice but to join forces with the Netherbrain. I'm like, bro, what? <laughs> We've been fighting against the Netherbrain this whole time. And now you're just going to join with the Netherbrain? Um, and it just seems kind of crazy to me. Um, and uh, I mean, the one of the um, the dialogue things that, that I, I hoped for was was regarding uh, this this uh, this shift here, because it's like, when you go get this item that you need to free Orpheus, he freaks out. And I feel like you can just say to him, like, you know, just because you go get that item, you don't necessarily have to turn on him. Like, but, but you can't tell him that. And I'm like, Hey, look, I've trusted you all this way. Can you just trust me for a minute? Like I wanted to go there and get the cool stuff that I knew was in this location, you know, and by the time you can get it, you know, that there's some cool stuff in that location. Um, you know, so, um, so yeah, that's, that's one of the big story yeah. criticisms. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I imagine with a story that's this complicated and 20 different writers over yeah. six years and stuff that maybe some of the things just, yeah. Stop making, you know, sure. Stop making sense for for some of the many, many yeah. uh, storylines. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'll say like some of the criticisms. I so I watched a video called like uh, it was called something like reviewing one star Baldur's Gate reviews. <laughs> uh-huh. um, it's called going over one star Baldur's Gate three reviews because you're like, how could you give this game one star? And so like by far the most common criticism was that people thought that the, there was too much romance or too graphic sex or that it was like, scare quotes, pushing an agenda with uh-huh. all the sex and, you know, liberated right. sexuality and stuff like that. Not, not surprising. So, yeah. yeah. So what do you think of, what did you think of the sex uh, <laughs> in the game? Well, yeah, it is a very horny game. I'll, I will <laughs> say that. Yeah. Um, you know, and they have had to do patches to make, some of the characters less horny. Cause so, so like, <laughs> I, like I mentioned, you, you collect these companions and like, you can have like, I don't know, like six or eight companions at some point, you know, but you can only ever have four in your party. And so the rest of them are hanging out at your camp, but you can go talk to them whenever you want. Like you can go to camp whenever you want, even if you're not going to take a rest. Um, and so when you talk to them, you know, they gain, you gain approval, they gain, uh, you gain approval from them. And then, so once you reach certain stages of approval, like maybe they start to like you or whatever. And it's like, man, can I just talk to you like a friend? Like, I'm trying to be nice to you because I like you. I don't want to fuck you. (laughs) Um, 
but like this one guy gale he's he's the wizard um he's like sort of notorious for just being like the horniest like he i mean or or falls in love easily let's say he he just he always wants to fuck you um and it's like come on man i thought we were just having a nice time <laughs> a nice discussion you were t- teaching me about magic you know like I, I didn't mean for it to go this far um and so and one of the other characters will um he uh so like inevitably even if you hardly talk to them i feel like i always end up with this scene where like he just you know he makes his move and like the scene starts with him like doing this little dance and you can and you like you can watch or you can leave or you could be an asshole to him whatever but like if you're nice to him it's like you dance with him and then and then it comes to like oh let's try a more intimate style and then so you can do that or not but then and you can kind of like try to let him down easy but it doesn't really work and if you and if you just say like oh this has gone too far i need to leave the look on this guy's face, Dave, like he's so heartbroken. I felt so bad. Like, why is this game going to make me feel so bad about, <laughs> about a romance thing? Come on. Um, yeah. And some yeah, of so, the, some of the sex yeah. scenes are super graphic. They, they are super graphic. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So like there's a, there's an evil companion named Mithara, Minthara and I got far enough in my evil playthrough to get her on my team. And, Oh boy. Yeah. It's graphic. <laughs> it's like, it's got a 69 happening and everything. It's like, it goes everywhere on that. Um, actually, uh, the romance with Carlac actually gets pretty graphic too. Um, when you get to the sex scene, um, Carlac yeah. being my favorite and the hardest one, it seems like to romance. I, I, man, it took me a long time to get her like me. Yeah. And she's some sort of like demon or something. She's a tiefling. Um, yeah. I mean, uh, it's positioned at the start where Will is like a demon hunter and he's hunting her, but he was led to believe that she was actually some kind of demon, but she's just a tiefling. Um, she was in the hells, but she was like a servant of one of the archdevils unwillingly. Um, and so they all make up and they're friends now, but, uh, but yeah, she's just a tiefling. Yeah. Um, although so- she does have an infernal engine in her chest as a heart. And so like, that's her like, backstory quest basically is to try to fix that because otherwise she's going to die yeah so i i don't imagine i would mind any of the graphic sex or anything but oh, yeah, i mean yeah. there were enough people complaining about it that i did wonder right. if there should just be like a option in the in a menu oh. somewhere for the like huh. you know combat quest yeah. only no romance right. uh game well, playthrough right i mean you know so the so you can turn off the graphic part um, I, I guess maybe you can't I, I guess you can't turn off the romance part but you can turn off the graphic part so like I don't know what, I mean, maybe, maybe there's still sex scenes in that case. And then it just sort of fades to black earlier or something. But, um, you know, I don't know what people are complaining about. If you can turn off the, the really sexy parts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously not a big concern for me, but it's something, yeah. you know, that, that other people mentioned. Um, <laughs> another- also, can I just say on the subject of sex, yeah. one of the, one of the things they added in patch five was dick jiggle physics. <laughs> yeah. I saw that. Yeah. So. Important stuff, guys. They're doing Do you important just ex- work. You want to just go into more, explain explain what that means? Well, you know, you can you, your characters all have genitals and stuff, and so like, and you can pick them actually. So it's like you know, you if you're if you're trans or something, you can you you know you can totally represent yourself that way. Um, and um, but so like if your character has a penis, um, you know, previously like it didn't really move very much. If you're running around camp naked or, or the world naked, you could do that too. Nobody ever acknowledges that you're naked, which is a little weird but uh but yeah you know um you can um and so your 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 penis was pretty static you know um but then uh now they've added dick jiggle so like if you if you like move the character around a certain way there's going to be a jiggle you know it's it's going to act like a penis should when um you know uh exposed to certain force <laughs> you know um i don't know if they did that to breasts too because i know the breasts were very static as well 
but you know, I, I have that to look forward to. Actually, that reminds me. So two of the YouTube videos I was going to mention is one is called Baldur's Gate 3 Sex Speed Run in a Minute and 58 <laughs> Seconds. Uh-huh. So so it's possible to have sex with somebody a minute and 58 seconds into the game if you wow. play your cards right. Yeah. Okay. And then another one is called What Happens When You Steal an NPC's Underwear? <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you ever, did you ever try that? Uh, no, I, I've never done, I've never done stealing stuff. Um, although uh, if you kill Minthara, um, and well, I don't think this always happens, but I have a mod now that helped that is it like an auto loot mod because I've played it through so many times at this point. It's like the thing that's a drag now is like looting all the crates and stuff. And it's like, look, I have to loot the crates. So this mod will allow me to do that with less annoyance. I've done my time looting. Okay. Like the natural way. This is just <laughs> going to help me now. But so when I have this mod on, when you kill Minthara, because she is a possible companion, it just strips her naked. <laughs> so I have stolen her underwear because of that, but um, I haven't actually stolen an NPC's underwear. Yeah. In this so what video, happens? it made it sound like you can't really, I mean, like you try to do it and they always say like, Hey, stop that. Or, huh. you know, what are you well, doing? Things wouldn't like that. Wouldn't you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think does, also, I mean, you shouldn't really be able to steal underwear if they're wearing clothes. How would you? <laughs> yeah, I, I think also they patched it to make it so you, you, you can't have sex with anyone a minute and 58 seconds into the game. You know, they, oh, <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, they did slowly uh, reduce horniness um, throughout. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, but then let's see another, um, I guess another criticism. I, I actually didn't see anyone say this, but this was one thing that, that sort of occurred to me is that um there i saw a scene where there's like a stand-up comedian i don't know if you ever encountered this <laughs> yeah, person yeah 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 um but but some of the jokes are i'll, I'll tell you what some of the jokes you can mm-hmm. pick or that people say are is like uh i wouldn't be here tonight except my wife ran off with a cambion that's right <laughs> i got fiend zoned instead of, <laughs> instead of friend zoned right right and then um I tried sleeping with a dragonborn the other night, but it didn't work out. He had a reptile dysfunction. <laughs> well, people didn't like those. Well, I don't. So, so my feeling is like, like I, I'm fine with like because because they're 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 jokes that like reference earth based things, yeah. right? Like yeah. erectile dysfunction and friend right. zone presumably yeah. doesn't exist in Faerun, <laughs> right? So, um, I mean, those terms don't. Yeah, and so um, you know, so so it just kind of is sort of fourth wall breaking, and sure. so like it depends to me like if the if the story is like overtly a a humorous kind of thing, mm-hmm. like like Robert Astrid's myth series, in which yeah. case I have no problem with it. But if it's like something serious, like Game of Thrones or something, I don't yeah. want um, you know things that are breaking the fourth wall that much sure. in the story. Yeah, so that's fair. um, it's also though hard to tell a joke in the world of. Of, of like Faerun without making some kind of reference that in, in, in real life. I mean, I guess you could, but it'd be much more challenging. So I have some sympathy. Yeah. Well, come on. They had 20 writers. They could have come <laughs> up with some, yeah. Yeah. Some Faerun humor. Get Stephen Colbert on there. He, he loves, <laughs> he loves this shit. Like, you know, he, I'm sure he'd write some jokes for you. I mean, Hey, hell they, uh, Orson Scott card one time got hired to write jokes for, or insults for a game, right? Like you, yeah, you can for, hire somebody for, for some, of monkey Island. Yeah. Yeah, like you could you could hire somebody to write a very niche part of a game. <laughs> just just get them to write some jokes for you. Um, yeah, yeah. And then like the other big criticism I saw was that this was too different from Baldur's Gate one and two. Oh. That mm-hmm. like that it's a good game. You know that if if it had been Divinity, Baldur's yeah. Gate or something, these yeah. these people wouldn't have had a problem with it. But that mm-hmm. they felt like it was a little bit I like see. questionable or disrespectful to the original designs mm-hmm. or something. To okay to to make it so different in a series in a well, game called Baldur's Gate 3. Yeah. Well, whatever. I mean, you know, 
this is this is this kind of thinking is why D and D has all these like uh sacred cows that continue into the game to this day that uh really should have been discarded at some point. It's because like some old grognards are like, oh well hey, this is how it's always been. This is how it should always be. Um and it, it holds back like uh the game from making good changes and stuff. And so it's like, you know, I mean come on, those Baldur's Gate games were from so many years ago. Like of course it's gonna be completely different now. Um, I mean, I know a lot of people come, um, even before the game came out, they were like, man, if they, if they make it turn based, it's just gonna, it's just gonna tank. Never, <laughs> it's never gonna work in, in the contemporary environment. And so I saw people on Reddit saying like, boy, this comment really aids well. Um, and I mean, I, for one, I'm, I'm thrilled that it's turn based now. So like, I, I hope it warrants a whole new return to turn based games. Uh, cause like, I don't want this live action shit like D and D, like, especially if it's a D and D game, like D and D is a turn based game. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so like, I, yeah, I don't know. I, yeah. I, I actually never did play Baldur's Gate one or two. It was, uh, it also came out, um, at a time when I just wasn't playing D and D at all. And I wasn't, uh, really playing video games. I think it was also when I was in college. Um, so, um, I, I did, uh, in desperation one night, I did download both of them because <laughs> Steam kept, kept recommending to them. And it was like enhanced edition. I'm like, Oh, it's enhanced now. So surely it'll be at least playable. Man, it's not playable now. It's like, it's so old. Yeah, I'll I just, get, just I couldn't do it. Just to explain, so Baldur's Gate one and two, rather than being turn turn based combat, it's real time with pause, so you can like pause and give your characters orders, and then but everything else, the combat sort of proceeds in real time. Yeah, but I mean, I guess like I think overall, this Baldur's Gate three is such a triumph. But I think that one thing that is a little bit um, like unfortunate is that you have all these guys who worked on um, mm-hmm. the the Infinity Engine games, like Baldur's oh, yeah. Gate and Icewind Dale, and yeah. Um, uh, Planescape Torment, those kinds of things. So, like, you know, Brian Fargo, Fergus Urquhart, mm-hmm. Chris Avalone, Trent yeah. Oster, um, you know, all, all these guys who, like, have sort of, like, been carrying the torch for CRPGs through the dark ages of the <laughs> sort of 2005 yeah. Yeah. to 2015 or something mm-hmm. uh, that weren't, you know, were not involved in this, in yeah. this Baldur's Gate 3, even though they had yeah. put so much work in and, you know, mm-hmm. tried to, you know, th- there were, like, all sorts of attempts to get Baldur's Gate 3 going right. and they all just kind of fell through over the years. Yeah. So in a perfect that's, world, somehow all those guys yeah. could have been involved with this, I guess. But yeah. Uh, and that's fair. That's a fair criticism. I mean, especially since they got, you know, Lauren Schick on board, you know, and he's done a bunch of other stuff. Like they could have gotten one of the guys from the game series, like instead of him. I mean, not that I think that they should have, repl- you know, gotten somebody else, but I mean, you know, if they want to involve somebody, but you know, they only had one slot, you know, um, they could have got people from that team. That That's a fair point. Especially mm-hmm. since they do uh, borrow a lot of the uh, characters, um, like for instance, so Jahira, uh, Minsk, uh, Saravak, and um, uh, shoot, what's her name? Uh, Viconia, Viconia Devere. They're all characters from the original Baldur's Gate games, um, and they they can all be companions. Um, and so. Um, you know, so they're all in this game. And I know one of the criticisms I've seen um, online too, is that, uh, that uh, Viconia, for instance, is very different from what you see in the Baldur's Gate games. And like some of the people kind of felt uh, like betrayed by the portrayal of her now, like I said, I haven't played them, so I can't speak to that in that regard. She's definitely like full on villain in this, um, this iteration. Um, I think she was only ever a companion option if you were playing evil anyway in the, in the other games, but um but yeah, uh, I was kind of shocked to see Saravak was ever a companion option. He's like, he's like, uh, he's like the son of the god of murder. Um, so I'm like, 
oh, <laughs> okay. Um, which actually, uh, we should also mention too that um, the game, you can make your own character you, or you can play one of the companions. They call them origin characters. Or there's an option called the Dark Urge, which is it's a custom character like any other, but um, but you have uh, you have these dark urges that happen during the game that you can either indulge or try to fight against, and so um, it actually ends up being a really cool playthrough. I, I was hesitant about it at first because I didn't have the stomach for playing an evil playthrough, um, and I tried one and abandoned it pretty early on because like there's. Most of the, most of the urges you can, uh, fight against, but there's this one urge that happens pretty early on that you can't skip without cheese. Um, so if you're just playing without cheese, like, you know, you can't skip this. And it's like, it's really viscerally upsetting. And you're like, oh man, I don't want to do this. Um, and that, but if you can get past it, like the game is that playthrough is really cool and has a lot of interesting, um, twists and turns to it, um, that the base game doesn't have. Mm-hmm. I can say what it is if you want me to just spoil that too. Yeah, I mean we're in, we're into spoilers, so okay, so go for it. So so when you go to when you go to deal with this druid grove, even if as dark urge you help them, which you know you totally can. You like I played it as a, a dark urge fighting against his urges, trying to redeem himself, whatever. Um, and so even if you help them, the night after, so like you you help them, you you fight off the goblins, and then there's this big party at your camp, and this always happens in the game. Um, and so um, the night after the party. Um, this uh, bard that was at the druid camp comes up to you and she's like, Oh, Hey, I'm just, I was inspired by everything that you did. And I, I, I think I'd like to uh, make a go of being an adventurer. Is it all right if I join your camp, you know? And, um, and it's like, so you're like, yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Come along. And, um, and then you go to sleep that night. And then when you wake up in the, you wake up in the middle of the night and you've just like completely butchered this girl. Um, it's like, You've painted a ritual circle on the ground in her blood. Her blood is all over the camp. And like, you didn't know that you did it. You just like woke up and it happened. And like, like I said, you can't, you can't make a check or anything. You can't, you can't make a choice that avoids this. Um, uh, and so it was real upsetting. And so like, you do have some options at that point where you're like, uh, you know, try to hide the body, uh, you know, go ahead and just fess up to your companions or like, you know, there's different options like that. Um, so, um, so yeah, that was really hard to get past, but, um, the first thing that you actually come across is, um, so Gale, the wizard, when you find him in the game, he's actually stuck in like this, um, arcane sigil that it's like, it's like a fast travel point in the game. And so, but one of them is sort of malfunctioning and he's stuck in it and his hand pops out of it. And so he's like a hand, please, you know? And so like, you normally <laughs> just have to go over there, pull his, pull him through it. Um, and so, um, with the dark urge, you, you can, you have an option that it's like, uh, fantasize about cutting off the hand. And if you pick that option, you just do it. <laughs> you just cut off his hand. And then you, you have Gail's hand in your inventory. Um, so, uh, so that's the kind of stuff that happens. Um, and which you can indulge in or not. Um, and just to go full spoilers. Uh, so turns out, uh, Dark Urge is actually also like a son of Baal, the, the god of murder. And one of the main villains is a shapeshifter called Orin. Um, and basically it's like she, uh, she was jealous of you and she like fucked with your brain to like make you lose your memories. So like, you don't, you know, that's how you, you, you kind of start amnesiac. Um, and so, um, then you have to like kind of come to a head and then like when you fight her, you have to then decide, are you going to embrace Baal or are you going to, you know, rebuff him? Um, and so it's, it's really cool. Um, all of the choices that you get to make in that, in, 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 all, in that storyline. Um, 
So uh, it's well worth playing, even if you're like yeah. a, a evil averse as I was. <laughs> well, and I thought, I, I mean, I just read what the story was of Baldur's Gate, but it sounds pretty cool because the basic setup of the first game is that um, is that Baal, there was this prophecy. So there's Baal, oh, yeah. the, this evil god of murder, and there was this prophecy that he was going to be um, defeated and imprisoned. And so as, you know, as a, a contingency plan against this, he just went around, you know, having all sorts of children called ball spawn in the yep. hopes that one of them in the future would come back and rescue him after he was imprisoned. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was kind of a cool setup for a, yeah. for a game. Yeah. And, um, I guess the, the dead three, um, are, so it's, it's ball, the God of murder, um, uh, Merkel, the God of, uh, I think just death. And then, um, shit, what's the other one? Ball Merkel, uh, Wait, Ball Merkel. Oh, and Bane. Ball Merkel and Bane. Bane, uh, wait, one. I, I can't remember what they're the gods. They're all the gods of evil dead shit, you know, whatever. <laughs> uh, but so they're, they're called the dead three. And like they've been, I think they were also featured in other ball, in like maybe Baldur's Gate two. Like if, if only, if only Ball is in Baldur's Gate one. But, um, it's like in the game, even they talk about, it's like, oh, the dead three. It's always the dead three, you know? Um, but, uh, but it's really cool because it's like in the, you know, so, you, uh, the, there's three main villains. And so like one of them is another guy from the previous Baldur's Gate games, uh, named Catherick Thorm. Um, and, uh, now he's a, a Merkel worshiper. Um, and so you end up having to fight like the avatar of Merkel, uh, which is really dope. Um, and then, uh, Gortash is like a politician and he's the, he's a worshiper of Bane and he's one of the other, uh, villains. And then Orin is the shapeshifter, uh, you know, uh, worshiper of Baal who, uh, you know, she, she's his avatar. Um, and I just have to say though, too, by the way, uh, in terms of like praise, the voice actress who does Orin's voice is so perfect and her and whoever wrote her dialogue. Well done. Like, like what? So, uh, you know, th- this is this is how I turned my weakness into a strength. Um, you know, I've been so obsessed with this game. At a certain point, I was like, God, I got to stop playing it. I got to get some work done. <laughs> and so I started a-, a while ago. I started using a text to speech uh, program to to like take text um, stories and and make them into audio so that I can listen to them. And I and I've gotten it to work pretty good. Um, so I can sit there and like listen to things and do something else. And so I was like, okay, I've played Baldur's Gate enough that like I don't really need any of the dialogue or anything. I mean, much as it pains me not to hear all the great voice acting, but you know, I've heard it all before and I still want to play it. So, um, I now can sit at the computer all day playing Baldur's gate, but then also get a lot of work done. (laughs) Um, but so even though I'm doing that, like when Orin comes on the screen and she has like her juiciest lines, well, I'm going to pause that shit. I'm going to listen to her talk again. <laughs> Cause it's like, I mean, she's just so, she's so fucked up. <laughs> she says such, such ridiculous stuff. It's just so over the top. That's great. Um, but yeah, so. Yeah, I remember, I, you know, I listened to an interview with Adam Smith and he was saying, you know, I forget which writer, you know, that they, they kind of like sort of assign writers to each characters and, you yeah. know, like then they edit them and stuff, but, but each person is sort of responsible for the voice of one or more particular mm-hmm. characters. And I remember like, you know, the person um, who was, was writing Orin, you know, had written some like, you know, sample this is in the very mm-hmm. early stages. And she's like, I don't know if this is, if this is works or not. What do you think? And he's like, oh yeah, yeah, this is perfect. Go with this. Uh-huh. And, and it was very like em- focusing on the the blood and guts and the uh-huh. morbidity and, and stuff like that. And so he, he said he came back to her cubicle later or something. And she had this whole list of like medical terms and stuff, <laughs> some stuff. And yeah. And she was like, this, oh yeah, this is my Orin file. Like, I, uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, I hope nobody like thinks that this is my personal, <laughs> you know, <laughs> right. They understand that this is work and stuff. 
Um, actually, but though, before we get too far away from the old Baldur's Gate games, yeah. there were like one or two other things I wanted to mention. So one was, I thought this was a really interesting quote from Chris Avalon. Um, he says, the developers who worked on Baldur's Gate loved D&D. They played it, embraced it. And I think part of the charm of Baldur's Gate was that they let the characters they had played in their own campaigns appear and be part of the story in Baldur's Gate. Because they'd had a chance to play those characters for many years, mm. it gave them an established look and feel, a sense of history, and a sense of actually being those characters and knowing their relationships with others in the party. So, so I thought mm-hmm. that, that was cool, you know, that they, yeah. uh, you know, that the characters, you know, had been yeah. developed for years before, before yeah, the game. Yeah. Um, and then another thing I thought was just funny, you mentioned the enhanced edition. So yeah. I think it was Trent Oster said that when they went to make the enhanced editions, that the cobblestones in the original Baldur's Gate was just a photo of coffee beans ah! and the graphics were so low resolution. It just looked like <laughs> cobblestones. Uh-huh. But then when they up them, you know, you just look at it and you're like, those look like coffee beans, you know? <laughs> so they had to completely redo the cobblestones for the, oh, man. For the enhanced edition. Nice. Um, oh, so I just wanted to say, too, about uh, the old Baldur's Gate game. So, you know, I mentioned how Jahira is a, g- a character in that game. And like, so in this in Baldur's Gate 3, she's like uh, she's already a legendary hero. You know, she saved Baldur's Gate a number of times um, and you meet her in act two of the game. Um, and, uh, you know, she helps you fight against the first main villain, which is Kepik Thorm. Um, and uh, so the thing is, like, her AI is pretty bad. Like, and, and actually that's one of the other complaints in general, which we can talk about more in, in, later, but, um, but so her AI is pretty bad. It's very easy for her to get killed in, um, in, in the assault on Moonrise Towers, which is where you fight Catholic Thorm. Um, just cause she does like ridiculous, stupid shit. Um, it's like she's a druid. She'll, she'll cast Ice Storm, um, on top of allies and stuff. And, and then it turns the floor icy. Not as bad as Sleet Storm, but it does turn the floor icy. And then she runs into it and then she slips and falls. You know, so it's like, okay, what are you doing? Um, but, and then she gets killed a lot because she has low armor class and, um, not that many hit points. And there's some real bad dudes, uh, in that first fight. So, um, so it's easy for her to get killed. Um, if she does get killed, no one ever says anything about her ever again. <laughs> so, um, well, with one minor exception, but like, you know, you can fight Kethrick Thorm, you kill him, everyone's celebrating, you go downstairs in, in Moonrise Towers. Like, it's like a, it's like a reunion. Like, you know, some of your allies are over here. There's a bunch of harpers there, assuming you didn't get them all killed. Um, you know, but there's a bunch of harpers there, whatever. Um, none of them say anything. Now they're not full fledged characters, but still none of them say anything. There's no person that's like, okay, well, now that Jahira's dead, I have to step up and take her place. I can give you some information that Jahira might have given you or, you know, alas, we shall miss Jahira, this great hero, whatever. Um, you know, so nobody says anything. There's also, so that bard that I mentioned earlier, if you're not a dark urge and you didn't kill her, uh, she's, she's also there. Um, and she's like trying to write a song to make the kids feel better. The tiefling kids, uh, cause one of their, one of their friends got taken, um, and wasn't found. Um, and so I'm like, Hey, uh, could you maybe write a song about the great Jahira who's fallen, the legendary hero of Baldur's Gate, who, you know, she used to sit like 10 <laughs> feet away from you at the last light in where we found y'all. Um, you know, and it's like, it's just ridiculous that they never mention her. Um, so, so there's that. And then, um, so she's your main way of getting a quest to find Minsk, who's another character in the game. That's who, that's who Matt Mercer voices. And he's fantastic. He's a hilarious character. Like you should definitely try to get Minsk as soon as you can, but you don't get him until late in the game in act three. I guess maybe we should just say if anyone doesn't know that Matt Mercer is the dungeon master for the very popular critical role. Um, you know, 
like Dungeons and Dragons, yeah. like video series kind of. Yeah, yeah. He's also a, like a vocal chameleon, a voice actor, and he's voiced a lot of like, you know, just done a lot of voice acting like in cartoons and stuff like that. Um, but so, um, so he voices Minsk and, um, you know, both of them like being compatriots for a long time in Baldur's Gate 1 and 2 and all that. Um, so if she's dead, you can still get that quest and you can still go find Minsk. But then if you don't have Jahira with you, you have no choice but to kill him. Like you can knock him out. And then when he wakes up after the combat is over, he then tries to kill you and you have no choice but to kill him. I'm like, come on, really? <laughs> like, can I talk to him? I mean, he's, he's unreasonable for sure. And he has a tadpole and he's, uh, you know, he's, he's not in his right mind, but like, can I, can I talk to him? So like, you have to kill him. And then Boo is there being all sad. Boo being his miniature giant space hamster companion, <laughs> which sounds ridiculous, but, and it is, but it's totally adorable. Um, and, uh, having played with Minsk as a companion and had Boo as his companion, uh, in the game, it's like, it's so cute and they're so adorable together to like then have to kill him when you didn't want to. It's just real sad. Like we should get to save him. <laughs> Come on. All right. So, so we're almost out of time and I feel like yeah. we can't wrap up this conversation without mentioning bear sex. Huh. Yeah. Did you, uh, did you, uh, exp- yeah. uh encounter any bear sex in, in any of your places? Yeah, yeah, places? yeah. Yeah, so there's a druid that you have to save from uh, early on, and he eventually becomes a companion, and you can uh, have sex with him. And uh, and and he's pretty horny too, and he's into polyamory. So he's like, if if you're if you're if your uh, romantic partner's down, I'm down, you know, um, which is nice that they have that at least as an option. Most of them are mo- monogamous though, um, but so he, he's down, um, and so you can have the you can have the sex scene, and in the middle of it, he kind of accidentally turns into his bear form because it's like he got so excited he turned into bear form. Um, um, and you have the option then of saying like, um, no, that was cool, but I'd rather have, I'd rather have you as a man, you know? Uh, but then you also have the option of like, oh no, I liked it. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I feel like I, I should have done it. I should have done the, I liked it for, for the experience of it. But I said, no, let's, let's just stay a man. Um, I, so I, I shied away from it when I shouldn't have. Um, but I think more importantly, you can have mind flayer sex. Um, so the dream companion I mentioned, you know, eventually turns out to be a mind flare. And then at some point uh, they flirt with you um, and you can, you know, you can reciprocate or not. And if you go for it, like, yeah, there's like a sex scene. Um, you know, there's like tentacles wrapping around your head when it happens. Uh, at some point your character's like, you're like looking for the mouth. You're like, where even is the <laughs> mouth? Um, and then you're like, oh, there it is. And it's just like horrifying. It's like, it's just full of like sharp, sharp teeth that they use to like bite into skulls to eat the brains, <laughs> you know? Um and uh, so, yeah. Uh, and but when you're doing that one, also, you can chicken out and say like, oh, I'd actually rather have your other form because the mind flare offer. It's like, you know, the, the dream visitor form. Um, and damn it, I should have just said stay mind flare. But I didn't. <laughs> um, and I and I haven't pursued it again since then. I should do it again sometime. Um, well, it, but, it, uh, it's funny yeah. with the with the bear sex, though, because they showed that at a pre-release, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, publicity event kind of thing. Yeah. And I saw one commentator said, like, they got, like, more uh, free publicity out of this than anything they could have. Because, like, you just yeah. had all these sites that never would have normally publi- uh, published or covered a, um, a CRPG. Right. You know, yeah. being, like, in Baldur's Gate 3, you can have sex with a bear. And it was, like, just, <laughs> right. like all over the place. It was, like, millions yeah, yeah, of yeah. dollars worth of <laughs> free advertising. That is one thing that I knew about the game beforehand. <laughs> I, well, that was one expectation I had. I definitely expected that, that I could have sex with a bear if I wanted to. I mean, I knew it was a druid, but you know, still. Um, 
Like I'm not, I'm not interested in having sex with just bears, but if it's a druid, <laughs> then maybe at least we can talk about it. You know, it was but, just, it um, was so funny to the scene because yeah. like the bear kind of leans in with a sort of like seductive <laughs> look. Yeah, and yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's really, really funny. Yeah. Oh, and but speaking of bears, um, the animals in this game are amazing. And, and this is a Larian thing, I guess. Like this is, you know, this is the same in the divinity games, but like you have to have speak with animals in this game or at least stock up on the animals, animal speaking potions and, you just have to talk to every damn animal you see because they all have something to say. They're all adorable. Um, you know, some of them are just absolutely not to be missed. Um, so, yeah, just talk to every animal you see for sure. Well, that was something I saw Sven Vinka said. You know, the part what, part of their design philosophy is if you have a – if they put a spell in the game, yeah. it has to actually be in the game. You know, if you can talk oh, with sure. animals, you have to actually be able to talk with animals. Yeah. And um, there was another – there was one like Talk With Dead – and he said yeah. that that was another oh, one. It yeah. was just like a ton of work to implement sure. this one <laughs> one spell. And yeah, so he's absolutely. like, the, the out that we gave ourselves was that if someone's been beheaded, you can't <laughs> talk with them. Yeah. So that's why there's so many beheaded, <laughs> like decapitated yeah. corpses in the game because right. it was like cutting down on the amount of writing right. we had to do. I you mean, know, one other. Did, sorry, oh, they did a lot. Of, they did a lot of work on Speak with Dead because it's like if a body is too damaged, also you can't talk to it. And uh, sometimes you have to like disguise self before you can talk to them. Cause like the corpse won't talk to their killer, you know? So they did so much interesting stuff with that. There was another thing where he wanted, they wanted to implement um, dispel magic and uh-huh. like they kept it in the design for a long, long time. Cause they really wanted it in there. But he's yeah. like, in the end, we just had to cut it out because like it literally would have been twice as much work to make the game <laughs> with that one sure. spell as not because there's like so much magic in the game and like giving yeah. you the option of dispelling right. it anywhere you want and then like right. trying to make everything work. He was like, it just became yeah. un, uh, you know, unfeasible yeah. or infeasible. Yeah. Um, so uh, since we're running out of time, I just want to mention some other quick um you know, complaints. Uh, but like, so one thing is that like a lot of stuff doesn't work like you think it should. And like, whether it's bugs or it's like, it's just not explained properly. Like an item says that it makes it so you can't be stunned, but I was still getting stunned while wearing it. I think they patched that one since then, but there was a lot of stuff like that. Um, and then, um, also then the, the AI, like I mentioned, the AI being really bad with Jahira in that Moonrise fight. But then the also infamous AI is, uh, you, you have to go to this uh, foundry where they make these giant like automatons called steel watchers. And like, you have to go in there and you have to blow it up and you're trying to save these Gandhian inventors, um, Gand being a God in, in forgotten realms and they're, they're gnomes and they worship this God Gand. Um, and um, I assume they say Gand damn it when they, when they get mad. <laughs> but so um, you have to go save them. And it's a, it's this really gnarly fight. Like it's so hard and they just make it so much more difficult because they're just completely suicidal. Like they, they'll run away from the bad guys provoking attacks of opportunity. And then they miss the step back right where they were. It's like, bitch, if you're going to miss these steps, get out of <laughs> combat that way and don't come back. I'm the heroes are here to save you. <laughs> Why are you doing this? Um, and the worst example was I just had it happen to me. Like we had completely won the encounter. We were just waiting for this one steel watcher to explode. Cause that's, they get, they take a certain amount of damage and then they detonate. Right. And so all we had to do was wait for its turn to come. And this motherfucker, he shoots a firebolt at this fucking explosive barrel and it explodes him, a couple of his buddies, uh, some of, some of my party, the steel <laughs> watcher. And it just sets off this enormous explosion. I'm like, dude, what are you doing? <laughs> and I know they've worked on this AI for them, but man, it still needs work. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, well, I, I mean, with a game this complicated, I'm sure yeah. they could work on it for the next 10 years and there would yeah, still yeah, be yeah. like stuff. Go, uh, at a certain point, you just have to declare yeah. it's done. Yeah, uh, the, sort of the, like with AI, this po- the, the AI allies are sometimes not worth <laughs> all the effort to have on your team. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's true of many, many, many video games. Yeah. Um, and sort of like, like at this podcast, we have to declare it's done uh, at some yeah. point, <laughs> even though we could talk about Baldur's Gate 3 for hours. I guess yeah. one other thing I want to mention before we go is that um, one of the major characters in this game is a Githyanki, oh, yeah. uh, which are, I don't know, they're like sort of like elf slash lizard, interdimensional mm-hmm. elf slash lizards. Is that a mm-hmm. fairly accurate description? Sure. Yeah. I mean, kind of. Uh, people people tend to call them like toad. They, they make toad references, but um, like in terms of their look, but you know, yeah. Yeah. We're in that so, area. So do you know the the history of the Githyanki? <laughs> I know they were created by Charles Strauss. Yeah. So, well, so actually, so uh, it's a term, it comes from George R. R. Martin's novel, Dying of the Light. Oh, <laughs> no, I didn't know that. Yeah. And it's like a sort of like sort of an alien race. So I think you don't really see, I think they've gone extinct at the time the story um, mm-hmm. happens. It's been a long time since I read that book. But anyway, Charles Strauss, I think when he was a teenager, read it and was like, oh, that's a cool name huh. and used it for a submission that he made to White Dwarf magazine. Yeah. And, you know, it was a big hit and it got included in the Fiend folio mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and was actually on the cover of the Fiend folio. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, all without anyone, I think without George R. R. Martin knowing about it. <laughs> um, but apparently he doesn't, at least he's never complained that I know of. But yeah. it's just kind of cool to me that you have this like huge character in this huge game right yeah. now that comes from, you know, a, a throwaway line in a yeah, George no, R. R. Martin awesome. novel from 1977 or something. Yeah. Yeah, and actually, the Githyanki companion in this game, uh, uh, Lazel, is is really awesome. And it's like because they, they, it's a, such an alien culture to like you know just to humans and elves and stuff, um, and to experience it through like you know with her at your side and and having this completely different worldview, it's super cool. And like they're like the experts at fighting mind flayers, so um, it's also good from that point of view. Um, a lot of people complain about them being ugly, but I don't I don't know what they're talking about. Um, I mean. They have, they have, their noses are kind of weird, but I mean, you know, Lazelle's hot. Yeah, and it is and is a romanceable character. In the oh game. yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, and actually, her romance is actually hilarious because, like, the first time it happened for me, it's like uh, we had just like fought the goblin camp, and like, so we we killed a lot of fucking goblins at this goblin camp, right? And so we go back to camp. Her face is all covered in blood, and like when you go to talk to her, she's just like she's like panting because it's like she's she's just like she's she's all she's all revved up after all that killing. It's like, and so she was uh, <laughs> she was just like she was DTF at that point, um, and, that's, and it, it was on from there. So. Um, and, and like her, the romance with her is often like that. Like you have to duel her at one point, <laughs> you know, to, to like prove your metal with her. <laughs> um, and, uh, like you can kind of like be, um, like sort of aggressive in your responses to her sometimes. And she actually likes it, you know? <laughs> so it's like, it's just kind of a whole new <laughs> approach. Yeah. Well, and she does have this really like alluring, sultry voice. Yeah. Um, you know, I watched some interviews with the, the actress, it's Devorah yeah. something, yeah. Um, and it's, it's, you know, she's really into, into it, you know, really gets into the character. And I mean, one thing that, because there's so many lines of dialogue in this game, yeah. they were recording dialogue for years mm-hmm. and years mm-hmm. and years. So these voice actors, you know, have lived with these characters for yeah. such a long time, you know, like most of the time with voice acting, they just go in for like right. a couple of days or something. And this was a much different mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. experience, uh, than that, than that for, uh, for these actors. Yeah. 
One one of the funny things with Lazelle is that uh, you know, she's so serious. And but even with her being so serious, sometimes it's funny. Like she's telling you about like the history of Prince Prince Orpheus, uh, which is like uh uh Gith's uh first son, like the like the mother of of the Gith Yankee. And like now they're ruled by this Lich Queen Blacketh. Um and Lazelle is like all in on Blacketh. She's her, you know, her minion, whatever, like her her uh, you know, whatever, her worshiper, you know. Um, but then like Orpheus is a threat to to Blacketh's reign. And so like she's telling you about the history of, of the of the Githyanki and, and Orpheus and Gith and, and Blacketh and all that. And then so she says that Blacketh is actually like the hundred and fiftieth seventh Blacketh to ha- hold that title, but then she's she's been Blacketh for like a thousand years or something. And so one of the things you can say in response is that's a lot of Blacketh's. And she just, <laughs> she just very seriously says, yes. And in, in, in that way that she does. And then she just goes on and it's like, it's just fucking hilarious. And I don't know if they meant it to be, but it just is. Yeah. Well, see, that's an example of humor that doesn't involve yeah, breaking true. the fourth wall. True. Know. Oh, and just real quick. Um, one other minor complaint I have is with the names in the game. Uh, so like for instance, Orpheus, like I feel like that's a dumb name for like a, a, a Yankee prince. And I don't, I think he's original to this game. I don't think he's from lore from forgotten realms lore. Cause like Orpheus, that sounds, it's like a Shakespearean sounding name, you know, like I, it doesn't seem like that should be a get Yankee name. Cause like well, that's Lazelle, from Greek, Greek mythology. Oh, f- oh, from Greek mythology. Okay, well, I knew it was yeah. from something. Uh, yeah. But so he, he's the know. he's like the great musician who goes into the underworld oh. to get his wealth. right, right. So that makes it even worse than really to because then you're like kind of mixing your metaphors because there is like underworld shit in the game. Like, you know, you can literally go to the hells, you know, and all that. Mm. Um, but so like Orpheus just feels like a wrong name for him because like Lazelle is like a great Githyanki name. And like, you know, there's other ones in there that are good. Um, but then um, but then also um, like so the big uh, devil uh, antagonist in the game is named Raphael. And it's like, OK, Raphael. OK. I mean, like the, the, the devils have a lot of cool names like and Raphael just isn't up to snuff you know to me um and he's so he's such a cool character otherwise like and so the music we were talking about earlier that was badass was the you know the devil music you mentioned it's like it's in the fight with him and it's so fucking epic and so like you have this uh, like uh sort of angelic uh vocal happening and like this orchestral swell in the background and then this motherfucker starts like uh spoken word singing his own song like a disney villain it's so great um and the song is just so dope um, and unexpected. But what I was going to say earlier is that if you cast silence on him, which ostensibly you would cast on him to make him not cast spells, it makes him stop singing. <laughs> they actually thought of that. You can cast silence on him and make him stop singing. I take that as, I take that as gospel from the internet. I didn't actually try it, but. Well, cause, cause um, I saw if he's dead at that somehow, I'm pretty sure if he's dead somehow, like then it plays the song, but without his lyrics, but with the rest of oh, the okay. lyrics. Oh, um, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Cause I mean, there are, there are other lyrics that he doesn't sing. So, uh, but yeah, that makes sense too. I never, I never noticed that part, but yeah, I did, I did read that if, uh, you know, if, um, you cast silence, he stops singing. Um, and then, uh, so otherwise with names though, just like some of them, a lot of them are great in the game, like including like names from throwaway characters that don't even have like a real, that aren't even real characters. They're just like one line characters. But then like the companions are Gale, Will, it's will it's w y l l but still it's just like a real it sounds like a real name um shadow heart 
um, which is like admittedly a made up name in game for her because it's like because of like the sort of cult of Shar that she's part of. Um, and her real name is Genevel, which I think is like a cool Forgotten Realms name. But uh, but you don't find that out until the end of the game and she never uses it. She always goes by Shadowheart. And it's just like so emo <laughs> that it's like it's hard to take seriously. And the Internet calls her Shart. <laughs> <laughs> and which is perfect i mean it's just hilarious um but you know it's just i just feel like they could have done better with some of those names because like they i I, just, I don't like names that feel like real world names in like D, you know like i want i want to i want them to come up with uh you know cool made-up names that um you wouldn't normally encounter in the real world so um so yeah that's my minor complaint well that reminds me i mean I, I don't know how fair this is but one of the criticisms i saw that i thought was was funny is this person says it feels like a college dating sim, not an RPG. Ah. Every character has an upper middle class San Francisco beach party vibe. Huh. Okay. And, sure. Uh, I guess that's fair. I mean, I wouldn't say uh, Carlac does, but I mean, I guess she's she kind of has a very upbeat personality, even though she just got back from being a servant in the hell. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, okay. I, I can see that. I mean, Lizelle doesn't, certainly. <laughs> but uh, yeah, there is that certain uh, certain vibe to it. Yeah. Yeah, but it, um, but it does seem I, yeah. like it has like a little bit more of a um, like fun, approachable yeah. party vibe than a like yeah. grim, dark, super sure. serious. You know, true. Well, I will say that uh, most of the companions are pretty prickly, especially like the first three that you would normally find. Like the first three you would find are like Shadowheart, Lazelle, and Astarian. And they're both, they're all three real prickly. <laughs> uh, and so like it takes, and then, I mean, you get, you can get Gale just as early as them basically. But like, and, and he's, he's just always nice and, and like polite. I mean, he's, he's fairly full of himself, but he's, he's not prickly like them. Um, and then the next one you would get is Will, and he's just, he's just real nice. He's, he's a champion, a hero of the people, you know, a real do gooder. And so like, he's not prickly, but like those first couple you get, like, yeah, man, they're, uh, like Shadowheart's just real, uh, in your face about stuff. Lazelle's like, you know, real militant. Um, Astarian's a, a rogue and, uh, a, a vampire, <laughs> um, which you find out pretty early on. Um, but the first thing he does to you is hold a knife to your throat. Um, you know, and he's just kind of a Serbic, you know, and stuff. And he stays that way forever, but. <laughs> Shadowheart eventually you can you can you can crack her uh crack her heart um and and get into the juicy innards. <laughs> uh, but um you know it takes a while. Hmm. Uh so uh so you think people should play this game? Absolutely. I mean do be careful if you have deadlines um, <laughs> or if you want to maintain relationships and stuff. And like, you care about like, you know, spending time with other people, although you can play it multiplayer. I have not done that yet. And it makes me sad. I do want to play it multiplayer because it's a whole other way of experiencing it. I'm sure um, I couldn't get, yeah, you can play, play couch co-op. I, I, I understand. Yeah. 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 And you could do that or you can play it online, you know, like if you just have separate uh, systems or whatever, but yeah, you can play it couch co-op. Um, and uh, yeah. So, I mean, it's absolutely an amazing game. I, I think it's, you know, it's like I said, it's, I think it's the best game I've ever played. I, I think it's one of the best, you know, pieces of entertainment I've ever experienced for sure. Um, I can't think of another thing that I've ever spent this much time on and been this obsessed with. I mean, except for D and D itself. <laughs> um, and the downside of this, of course, is that I can, I can play, I can experience the full game at any time and no one can stop me. <laughs> Whereas D and D, it's like I, to actually play D and D, I need a bunch of people. I need to, re I need to get aligned schedules. It's complicated, you know, and I have, I have a lot of games on my schedule, but it's like in between, all I can do is like fuck around with like, 
making builds and things. And it's like, that's, that has limited fun. You know, it's like, it's, it is fun, but it's just like a placeholder until I can play D and D Baldur's Gate. I can just turn on any time. So it's very dangerous. Yeah. And don't you, um, you play D and D like three times a week, right? Um, yeah, at least, yeah, at least more than that. Yeah. Typically, yeah. <laughs> um, I have a lot of games going. Um, I do have another game that's spinning up now. Like I have a, a, a game on alternate Sundays and then now the other alternate Sunday, I have a, a different game now spinning up and I'm going to play, uh, the brother of a character in the game named Popper, who's a kobold. Uh, he's actually, I should mention Popper is like my favorite character. He's a bit character. Uh, you, you meet him in act three at the circus. He's just a merchant. He has very limited, uh, interactions, but he's so delightful. I just love him so much. And like, this is a sentiment much shared on the internet. Um, but so because I felt like there was no justice for Popper, we don't get him enough. He should be a companion, damn it. <laughs> um, you know, uh, I decided like, uh, I was going to make a character that was basically his brother, um, so that I could act like Popper in the game and like, you know, expand from what I've seen in, in Baldur's Gate 3. So, uh, uh, I'll have to update you on how that goes. <laughs> All right, so we, we should we should definitely wrap this up. Again, if anyone wants to buy me a PS5, that would be very yeah. appreciated. Um, John, any other final thoughts? Well, I just wanted to thank everybody to for listening to my uh, job application uh, for Larian <laughs> Studios. Um, you know, so I thank everybody. This has demonstrated my extreme commitment to Baldur's Gate 3. Um, I've thought about it at a very deep level. I have lots of useful insights that I could offer um, if wanted. Um, and uh, yeah, I just I want to be I want to be part of this team, man. Like, come on, give me a call. <laughs> yeah, definitely. If anyone from uh... If anyone has any contacts at Larian Studios, uh, you know, let let them know about John because he is. Uh, this would definitely be his dream job. My my agent actually did reach out to them on my behalf. I so so there is a there is an email in their queue, but I don't know if anyone's going to read it or not. So if anybody does have a, like a like a, a bestie over there, you know. <laughs> um. But yeah, and, and def- again, we could. We, I'm sure John could talk about Baldur's Gate three for another ten hours, but. Uh, we, we need to, this is getting pretty long, so I think Aww. we'll need to wrap this up here. So, okay. again, we've been speaking with John Joseph Adams about this awesome new game. Everyone should check out Baldur's Gate 3. So, John, thank you so much for joining us. Always good to be here. I'm going to go play Baldur's Gate 3 now. <laughs> and that was our interview. So, big thanks again to John Joseph Adams for joining us on the show. This episode of Geek's Guide to the Galaxy was made possible thanks to support from listeners like you. So if you enjoyed the show and want it to continue, please support us on Patreon over at patreon.com geeks or via PayPal over at geeksguideshow.com crowdfunding. All right, so that was our show. So thanks everyone for listening and we'll see you next time. The Geek's Guide to the Galaxy is a production of Wired.com. For more information about the show, visit geeksguideshow.com. To learn more about your host, visit davidbarkertley.com. Music and voiceover produced by yours truly, Jack Kincaid. If you enjoyed this program, tell your friends. If you didn't enjoy it, tell no one. Thank you for listening.